said, baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you wanna feel. Say what you wanna say. You're gonna die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day. Why do you waste your time? Welcome to another edition of Tangentially Speaking with Dr. Christopher Ryan. This week, my guest is Tony Perrotet. Uh, you can call him Tony Perrotet if you're French, right? That's well, yeah. Franco-Australian. Uh, Franco-Australian. <laughs> Wing of the diaspora. Exactly, right. Uh, we are sitting in the one of the libraries of Soho House in Manhattan. So if, if you hear sudden interruptions, it's because various people are wandering in and out of the room. I'll try to pause it and edit it, but if not, that's that's what's going on and here. And they're planning a fabulous champagne events and extravaganzas. Exactly. You never know what's going to happen at the Soho House. So, uh, Tony and I have been friends since uh, the early 90s, I guess. It, no, late or 80s. even late, late, late 80s. 80s. My <laughs> God, yeah. Um, what happened was I met a guy traveling in Australia named Sean in Pushkar, Australia, and uh, Australia, in uh, India, Pushkar, India. And uh, so Sean and I were buddies and we sort of ran into each other, arranged to run into each other around the world, Nepal, Denmark, France, Spain, Czechoslovakia. I was living in New York years later and Sean showed up and uh, squatted in my uh, apartment for a few months. And he had a friend in town named Tone and Tone came by and uh, we got to know each other bit then what a couple months or something and then we lost touch tone was a travel writer for insight guides uh you were an editor as well weren't yeah, you? yeah yeah you edited the argentina it was edition? all the south american ones all the south american oh, well i was working as a you know foreign correspondent in south america and so uh you know i was doing newspaper magazine stuff and then there was a book company that wanted a series of books and you know they wanted someone who could do all of south america and then it worked out well then it was like argentina chile peru and it's right. like you know, uh, they, you know, they drew the line at um, Colombia, I think, which I think was a pity. I didn't want to do it. But this is like 20 years ago. Yeah, it was pretty hairy, yeah so. that's not a good place 20 years ago. Yeah, so anyway, we lost touch. And then I was working on the, I was almost finished with the manuscript for Sex at Dawn. And I saw on Amazon.com somehow I, I was perusing and I saw a copy of uh, Napoleon's Privates, it was called, right? And I thought... Okay, that's a book about Napoleon's penis and various people who have been in possession of Napoleon's penis throughout the years. And I thought, well, maybe there are some good anecdotes in that that I could like slip into Sex at Dawn just to make it a little more amusing. I ordered the book. The book came. I looked at the back cover and there was this Australian's face on the cover who had written the book. I didn't recognize the name at all, but... The face looked familiar, and I thought, is it possible? And I wrote to my friend Sean, I said, what was the name of that guy in New York 20 years ago? Tony Perrotet, and there he was. So we've, our, our long and winding roads have uh, crisscrossed unbeknownst to either of us over the years. You've become, you worked, you still work for the New York Times, yeah. uh, Smithsonian, all yeah, sorts of highbrow. Anybody, I'm entirely promiscuous, anyone who pays. You're, you're a literary whore <laughs> like all it. of us. But uh, you're more of a literary escort, I think, no. than a whore. That's <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> yeah. 
Right. So you've published a bunch of stuff in the Times, and are you uh, you're on staff at Smithsonian now? Uh, contributing writer, they call it. So uh-huh. it's like it. You know, you're on the masthead. You know, uh-huh. So they listen to my ideas. That's you know. Right. Uh, so it's a regular gig with them, and and uh, and they're sort of my natural place because I don't know. It's it's sort of erudite, but it's also entertaining, and they're trying to liven it up. There's a new editor, right. and so right. there's a sort of sweet spot. We're using the academic stuff, but also going out there into the world. You know, because I was. Uh, I was never that much of a fan of archival research. You know, when I was in Australia, I studied history and got the, you know, I, I, the, the, the career path, the normal career path would have been to become an academic, you know, write, a, you know, historical works and what have you. But instead, I got a one-way ticket to Argentina and decided to set myself up as a foreign correspondent just to, because I was just, I love to travel and I love to, you know, see the world. Right. But at the same time, you know, I, I, I like doing the news stuff and the that sort of thing for a while, but it's sort of after a while it became kind of unsatisfying so I would sort of start digging up weird historical stories and then weaving them into you know narratives and often in places that had no news like Tierra del Fuego I ended up going to Tierra del Fuego four times really? for some weird story that I was like involved colonial you know this uh, the, the extermination of the Indians down there and this totally forgotten story was this around the time that uh, Chatwins in Patagonia came it out? it had come out it had touched on it a bit right. um, but my uncle actually used to work in Argentina all the Australians uh-huh. and the um, uh New Zealanders used to go down there and uh, my interest when it was it, it wasn't so unknown that they exterminated the Indians but that they actually got, got a bunch of guys and put them on trial in Punta Arenas in the 1890s and it was kind of this bizarre forgotten story the Indians uh, the, the you know the the Chilean you know, authorities put British people on trial for extern- for killing Indians. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh-huh. So it was just the, like the Fugians? Yeah. Who, yeah. who Darwin uh, had on his boat and yeah. was trying to civilize and well, all Well, there were various groups. There's the yeah. Yagans were the ones that uh, the Darwin had met and right. uh, uh, Jimmy Button, I guess, was the name of the guy that they Right, took Jimmy back. and, yeah. Uh, and then plenty there was, birdies, plenty fishies. Yeah, yeah. and there's another one called the, the Owner and they're the ones yeah. on the Chilean side and, uh, uh-huh. and which is much more like this beautiful you know, sheep country and so they would go in and... It, it, and it was one of these classic, you know, America, South Africa, Australia, going and wipe everyone out. It's like, you know, who knows what's going on over there? And But for some reason, it was in the 1890s, I guess, this sort of lefty judge in, in Punta Arenas decided to get involved and say, you know, you know, the, the British just can't do all this. They're not completely involved. So they put them on trial. You know, that, that's a typical sort of one of the classic sort of stories. And I started to do, you know, I started to lean more towards doing that than, uh, right. you know, or... Um, you know, or literary connections or whatever. And the, the inside guides were a great break because, right. you know, uh, uh, you know it's, it's a bit of a, sl- a slog, you know, with the, the freelance stuff. So it's just a nice steady gig. And they would pay me to, you know, go for three months to Chile or wherever. Right. And then I ended up in New York uh, and then, you know, back and forth. But, you know, and, and Buenos Aires was great. I loved Buenos Aires. You know, for, for a couple of years, it's like, it's fantastic. But at a certain point, you have to decide if you're going to be the guy who, you know, lives in, in Buenos Aires. You know, with the Argentine wife and the you know whatever, and you're never an Argentine. Your kids aren't Argentine. Your grandkids maybe are Argentines. It's a very insular sort of society. really. It was despite all the immigration. Yeah, it? yeah. Because most of them are from Italy. Aren't yeah, they? but the Italians are you know they're a bit like that. Close. You know, if you go to Italy, right, you know, they're right. very sort of you know. There's that sort of well, hell. Paradigm. If you go to Little Italy. You know, <laughs> it's not an easy community to infiltrate. Yeah, that's for yeah. Sure, yeah. So I would always be the Australian. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. 
and uh, you know, and so when I came to New York, I was like, wow, fuck, you know, this is this place, you know, it's an amazing city. It's like, you know, people sort of speak English, you know, it's like sort you know, of. Uh, I resemble that. Uh, <laughs> sort of. But, uh, yeah. but it was great, you know. And it's like, man, this is within five minutes. It's like it's the perfect place to be based. And right. So, so from here, I started to do more of these journeys, and right. you know, but again, you know, with these historical literary sort of connections. Now, how many books have you published? I've cranked out five of them. Five. Yeah, yeah. God, man, that's... It's out of control. It's, uh, kids are... I mean, books are like kids, you know? Anyone who's got more than two or three just amazes me. Right. There should have been something done. So. Yeah. <laughs> should have had something snipped along the way somewhere. But, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, five five books. Okay, so run run through them quickly. The, okay, well the, the first, well, the first one was called Off the Deep End. It was about... Um, it was literally a collection of travel stories. Right. You know, along these historical wacko sort of themes. Right. And, um, but it was done with where uh, it's from a base in New York. So it was really about me moving in or becoming you know, established in these village so as much as one can ever be established. You know, getting a rent controlled apartment, all these, you know, figuring out green cards and just all the weird things in the early 90s, which was quite difficult yeah. in New York. It was like really hard to do it. And in fact, objectively, New York was almost an unlivable city. You, know? you, you so should have married an American. Would have been a lot easier. Would have been a lot easier. My wife won the green card lottery. Les won the green card. Oh. Eventually, oh, really? six or something, which is this weird. Americans aren't really aware how people, the, the, it's citizens ridiculous. are chosen. Yeah. Uh, but there's this whole thing, and they decided that there just weren't enough Australians in the mix, in the cultural mix. So, you know, I went in, you know, I didn't win it, but she won it. And, you know, so we, we got it, and it's like suddenly they gave us a green card. It's like, wow, okay, so this is meant to be. Let's hang out here. So, so she got it, and because you're married, then you automatically have a reason yeah, to, to get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it's instant. Well. It's kind of like, and, and it's yeah. like, doesn't matter what as long as you know unless you're a felon or something like that you know it's like it's and they didn't know about your your criminal past that's it you know in Argentina what happens yeah. in, you know stays. But, uh, what happens in Tierra del Fuego stays, stays in Tierra, Tierra del Fuego but it was uh, but yeah but the, the, the and the theme of the book in a way was then I'd be doing stories about going to uh, Iceland or Zanzibar or uh, you know Patagonia or wherever or these very remote places where you go and go you know it's how one on earth inspired people to move here and live here right. and I sort of saw connections, you know, between, you know, this sort of thing of suddenly, yeah, here we are sort of digging in in the East mm. Village, which at the time, people were like, wow, you know, you're going to take a stand. And it was like, Interesting, a, it's, yeah. it's a historical work now, because it came out in like 96 or something. And it was like, you know, you'd read it now. It's like, yeah, it might have been even another planet. Really? You know, <laughs> so it was like, you know, our, our block, 10th Street between 1st and 2nd, was the, it was the biggest Colombian drug dealing uh, block. And it had been for decades. So it was that you'd go there and there were these guys, you know, like dozens of guys on either side and the limos would cruise down and they would just be doing the dealing. And, um, you know, it, it was, it, the association in people's minds was such that they just couldn't, couldn't break it. So a sort of a campaign started to try and clean it up. So this woman on our block, is it cleaned up now? Yeah, now it's like this glamorous... Hmm. Uh, you know, it's all these little Japanese restaurants. Oh, and like this, there's, wow. there's, there's a Japanese dessert store. You know, it's like... Because I was walking over to meet a friend the other day in the East Village, and I walked down a block. I, I don't remember. It was between Houston and... and 10th, somewhere. And it was between 1st and 2nd, and there were a bunch of dudes hanging out on on the side, and I sort of walked through the group of dudes, and, and then the guy sort of walked behind me, and he said quietly, if you know what's good for you, you won't come back here. And I turned around, I said, what? And he said, oh, nothing, I was just talking to myself. 
And I thought, what's going on on this block? It did seem kind of strange. Interesting. You know? It's good to hear that this village still has a little edge. <laughs> a little color. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, now there is the, the, the amazing thing about New York is because of the rent control laws. You know, they can't totally gentrify it. You know, mm. if it was in Sydney, you know, and they suddenly decided these village, you know, there's a neighborhood. They can do it within a year. You know, they just get rid of everybody. Get rid of everybody and it's like, because yeah. the leases just run out and yeah. put it up, you know, jack it up. But there's, yeah. there's the ingrain, yeah. you know, and now, you know, we were involved in sort of helping to clean up the block, you know, you know, because it was, you had to do things like the police at one stage, they got a patrol car that just went back and forth in our block all night. <laughs> because it was, and the idea was to, to break the, this ancient association. Oh, it was all the drug right. dealers because went to 11th Street, you know, right. but, and, and then when the police would get, they'd all come back. Right. And this went on for a few years, but then the whole momentum. Uh, but yeah, but now you know the riffraff. We're the riffraff now that they've been trying to get rid of. You know, it's right. uh, you know there's still, a, but it still has a certain character that I think is quite different to the rest of New York. It's kind of because it's kind of cut off a little bit. You've got to make a bit of you know there's no you know, schlep over from the subway. It sort of right. still has a certain character that's yeah. different that I like it's still got a very cosmopolitan it's got you know crazy old Polish people and whatever yeah. still not as many but you know yeah. it's still there I, yeah. you know it's just, it's just a great place if you like you feel like you're traveling permanently you go away for two weeks there you go and you come yeah. back you know yeah. it's completely you know, some new store or whatever yeah. it's like there's a stranger in front of you you get to the sidewalk and there's strangers everywhere yeah. every day and yeah. speaking every language and okay so so that that's an interesting I really like the yeah in fact I bought that book I've never read it I have to admit that's okay. you know one, one of the the possible titles for this podcast was going to be interviews with authors whose books I haven't read you know just keep no, it honest just keep it honest because <laughs> most of the people who interview me for Sex of Dawn haven't read Sex of Dawn they of pretend they have yeah. and so I really like it when someone says look I haven't read your book I, you know I read the reviews I read this I read the back no. cover I no. read the next excerpt and like you know great okay yeah. I know who I'm talking to or uh, you know someone who because you know this as an author right you can tell when you're talking about a book you can tell if someone's read it because they ask you a question it's like oh yeah that question's answered on page five right, you know right. and so it's it you know for a journalist out there it's a dumb thing to lie about because we know you're lying and we pretend we don't so you'll write a nice review or article or whatever but we all know so might as well just be yeah. straight about it yeah well, since they're often doing like 10 books a day it's sort of a exactly you know, yeah exactly physically impossible right so, there's uh, no there's no reason they should have to yeah. read every book anyway so um so that was your first book and then, then it was uh, one. It was about following ancient Roman tourists around the Mediterranean. Okay, now that's where you sort of got on to the line. You've continued. Yeah, right. There was there was a lot of uh, yeah, and that was yeah. It was called Route sixty six AD, and uh, and then they changed the title and uh, the paperback to Pagan Holiday because they thought no one understood, understood Route sixty six AD. That hmm. uh, they thought it was a turn off in Arizona or something <laughs> or something whatever. But uh, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and it was very. It was like taking a journey and like really. Um, you know, digging up really arcane stuff about the ancient Roman Emperor and there was a lot of erotic history there because right. that's the you know the, the, the overall pro project has always been to somehow get people back in their minds back into the past and that can be through food it can be through uh, you know like the idea of tourists that were there or it can be through sex right. and there's, there's this you know direct link you know and it's like you know to understand a culture you know it's like you understand how people are having sex you understand you learn a huge amount about right. it and the ancient Romans, you know, their influence on 
our ideas of sex, you know, and the, the Christians floating around, the early Christians, is enormous. You know, the very, you know, the whole idea of the rediscovery of, you know, of ancient Rome that happened in the 18th century was very much based on, like, they're digging up all this erotica, this sort of very mind-boggling to the, you know, especially the Victorian archaeologists, this, this extraordinary amount of stuff. Mm. And uh, so there's always been these very twisted views or, or sort of, you know, confused and baffled views. It's a very salacious idea that emperors and their orgies, the, you know, it's like this sense of pagan licentiousness versus the Christian sort of repression. And, you know, uh, you know, it's just had this enormous impact. And so when you, when you look at the idea of, you know, I was looking at you know, travelers in ancient Rome, but it's sex was like a huge part of it as well. You know, when they went down to the Bay of Naples, it was like this party scene, this sort of like, you know, this seaside resort with, you know, uh, very wild, you know, times at the bathhouses and the, uh, the whole thing. And that's where, and, and, and it's around Naples where that's where Pompeii's being dug up. And that's, you know, a lot of the frescoes and a lot right. of the images and a lot of the poetry turns out to be about that. So, mm. uh, yeah, so this, the sex thing did get a lot of attention. And where, you know, on Amazon reviews, of, you know, like, this guy's just a pervert, you know, it's like, what is this? But, uh, you know, it's schoolboy fascination. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but it's an element that is like, you know, it's just so vivid, you know, just some of these, you know, if you want to try and get back to, you know, the ancient Greeks or the ancient Romans, there's, there's, there's sexual habits their sexual ideas are so you know it's just an instant way to leap and if you start with that then you can sort of extrapolate you can then you can move on to other stuff and it sort of all starts to make sense just to have that vivid connection yeah i i, I love your the the books i have read of yours i've read two or three of them what i love about them is that they take you to the daily life of, of what was going on there in a way that most histories are, are very much top down. It's, you know, here's how the emperor lived or the king or the court or Beethoven or, you know, whatever. Mm. But like, how, how did normal people live? What was daily life like? What, what were they doing? And sex is a great way to, to get into that. Yeah. Or food, as you said. I mean, humble things, normal right. things, things that right. everybody's doing, not yeah. just the, the wealthy or whatever. Right, right, right. And yeah. it's an instant connection between us because we, you know, we still eat, we still have sex, you yeah. know. It's like it's, yeah. you know, within the certain framework, you know, it's like, what's the word? But the way it's done, you know, it just tells so much. But yeah, the, I mean, the, the definitely the the lower, you know, the, the common man, that's the, the thing that's kind of, the interesting thing is that um, there has been, since the 70s, this sort of explosion in social history. There has been a lot of academic work that's done right. on on this sort of stuff. Uh, and yet it's so fucking boring. Mm. This, is the, this is the problem. It's done by people. People are like, you know, they, they don't get out of the archives. They're just like, right. And, and, and so a lot of my research is going and seeing, you know, finding these academic uh, treatises and reading the footnotes and reading yeah. the whatever. And because a lot of the color, right. a lot of the life is just like they, they don't consider it. It's interesting. Not yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like, you know, and so there's these very abstract discussions of, you know, you know what, what it means in the, in the, in the, you know, in the dialogue of, you know, Oh, post-structuralist ideas of sexuality and stuff and it's like so removed from reality so if you go back and you find out like step by step what was it like for someone to travel around and end up in you know arriving in Rome you know in you know, the first century AD what did they do where did you walk where did you, where did right. you get something to eat right. you know what are the souvenirs you know where, yeah. where, how did you find the brothels right. you know, it's, what it's did good. you eat what did it cost yeah. yeah yeah. you know and it's like and you just put it together as a traveller you know and like it's like you know what you, you, you gotta 
you know, when you go to a strange place, you know, where are you going to find a hotel? What are you going to do? Right. You know, it's going to be hassled by guides and touts and, you know. So a lot of that, my experience went into that, to this recreation of, of that, using the information. And it's right. like, you know, which is the, the other book that, that followed on from that uh, on the ancient Greek Olympic Games, the Naked Olympics. The Naked Olympics. That, right. that was very much like that, but that was taking the, you know, this festival, this five-day festival that academics had looked at, they looked at in great detail, all these little bits. But it's like, so what if you went? You know, it's like, so what, what happens, you right. know? Uh, and it's, it turns out it's run, you know, I've been to very badly planned rock concerts and yeah. it's like, just like that. You know? it's like, <laughs> in Australia, there was one, it was, you know, it was, it was held in summer in this place and there was never any water, you know, and you're wandering around and everyone's, after five days, yeah. you are pretty dirty. Yeah. And you're like, and pretty hungover and dehydrated. Sounds and whatever. like Burning Man. It was, it's very much <laughs> like that, but uh, a few more trees, a few more gum trees. Yeah. Um, so what? So tell us about the Olympics. What happened? So everyone's naked in, in all the events. Everyone in, was in naked? the events. They're naked. The guy, you know, the audience is naked. Right? It's all men uh, in the in the events. But they, I mean, married women weren't allowed into the sacred area. Oh. Right? But uh, unmarried women were. Oh. So there's this sort of a marriage setup scene going on where like you know wealthy young women are brought there from you know from the ruling classes that to sort of look around check out the you know these godly uh, physiques which is uh, to know, marry the athletes yeah marry the or to, I mean ideally to meet other diplomats or whatever oh, but still okay. you know the, the athletes were often from very good backgrounds and um, oh. you know it was, it was quite relatively de democratic you know as long as you were free born you were Greek and male it was very you know it's like that's what democracy was. And how yeah. many events were there? Well, we over five days, so and and it varied, but there was like maybe twenty events, and, and you know, sometimes there'd be twenty-two and eighteen. So it's like you know. racing, wrestling, Ra yeah. archery. Uh, not archery. No they'd archery. have uh, they'd have a pentathlon, which was you know discus and javelin and uh, different types of races. There was uh, you know three types of foot races. No marathon. That was a modern invention. Uh, I think that was from the city of Marathon. There was the Battle of Marathon. Oh, the battle. And apparently. Uh, according to legend, um, uh, Philippides, the uh, the runner, uh, got the news that um, Athens had defeated the Persians, ran in one go all the way back to Athens, got into the Agora and said, we won, and then drops dead. <laughs> so it's like, and it's like, what is it, 21.3 miles or something. So when the uh, Olympics were revived in 1896, you know, uh, Pierre de Coubertin said, let's do this this race. So they did it and that became this okay. fixed thing. And oh, it's like, cool. You know, they had a thing that it was like, um, you know, maybe 12 times around the uh, stadium. And I think it was like two kilometers. Right. You know, and that was like the the long one. Okay. But they had, they actually had chariot races, you know, you know mm. which wouldn't, you know, fit in today. And uh, uh, and they try other silly things. Like they end with a, um, uh, you know, a race in armor. Everyone's dressed up in armor, you know, for whatever reason. But, but beach, to, beach volleyball? No beach volleyball. That oh. was the... Because I think that should be done naked. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's getting close. It's getting, you know, it's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but at least the Brazilians. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I think it's the most popular viewing uh, yeah, sport. <laughs> I know. Everyone watches. No one gives a damn who wins. Right. But, yeah. But, um yeah, yeah. I mean, I think viewing the, 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 the human form, the Greeks were very much, it wasn't just yeah. aesthetics. Right. You know, I mean, it wasn't just the sport. It was the, the aesthetics, the, the erotic element there was very strong. You right. Know, it's like the godly physique. Which makes it an interesting dating scene for, for, the guys. for these upper, yeah. upper class yeah. people. The, yeah. And the, yeah, the guys, the guys and the women. And, yeah. uh, so, yeah, there's, this, there's a lot of erotic undertones and, and prostitutes would come from all over Asia Minor because they knew they could make as much in like five days as in you know, six months anywhere else. So, wow. it's this huge 
huge party scene and there's right. wine there's vendors there's like 40,000 people in this very remote sanctuary 40,000 40, people 40,000 it's like that's, and that's, a, that's a, a lot of people and it's like yeah in the yeah. ancient world that's yeah. a hell of a lot of people and it's in high summer so it's like 100 degrees 110 sometimes Ooh. in Greece and so you know and where what part of Greece was it's it? it's in the Peloponnese was it um, always in the same place? always in the same place that's you know another thing that's kind of different now right. it's like because this is you know Olympia uh, it was Zeus's sacred place and the games were dedicated have to Zeus have you been there? Have sure you, are the structures still there? some of them have been a lot has been excavated so you can put it together oh. uh, and that's always another thing that amazes me that often academics wouldn't go back to the site you know right. they, they look at the map and sort of go okay right. but you, you go there and then you can figure out okay so everyone's like running down here and going over the hill here and you know and they're all sleeping out because there's no hotels you know and, right. and the thing and it's just this just the idea of this sort of bacchanal that's yeah. going on and it's you know every four years so it's like you know you just save up and you go and whatever it's uh yeah. So what, about, every, what about the actual Bacchanal? That was also an ancient Greek uh, thing. Right? Yeah, that was it, that was a, a rite to the, to, to the god Bacchus. And right. Dionysius in, in Greece, Greek, right. Bacchus is in Rome. Right. And that was a, a rite that... You know, it was. Yeah, it started out uh, just women getting very, you know, getting very drunk and going to the sort of frenzy, and then uh, you know, it's it started to. It, it was exported to uh, southern Italy, and that's where it really started to take on this cult, this you know, extremely elaborate cult. And in Rome, uh, around the second century BC, then guys, you know, were getting involved, and um, you know, of all social orders, it was a very subversive cult. So you would go there, and the idea is that you would uh, uh, get blind drunk right. uh, you would usually bring a goat or something to, to sacrifice and you were and it was like a free-for-all you were not allowed to say no to anything and if you did you would quite possibly be attacked and you know killed you know by the enraged crowd so it was this thing and a lot of people you know there were bodies turning up and like and then some aristocracy no to anything of what of a sexual sexual nature so, uh, so this was men and women men and women yeah you have to be it was, the idea was this a uh, total abandon total abandon and so it was yeah. like ob obligatory abandonment. Yeah. Reminds me of some rituals I, I talked about in Sex at Dawn, where if you refuse to have sex with anyone in, in like cross cousins, I think was the concept, um, you were accused of being stingy with your genitals, which was considered a highly offensive thing to be. You don't want to be stingy with your genitals <laughs> in any situation. <laughs> you know, you can keep that spare change in your pocket. But um, now, am I thinking of the right? Is, is it the Bacchanalia where? Where you were, you had to be invited by someone who had already been right. there. That, that's that's right. Yeah, and that was like so. It would get around. It was like word of mouth. It was like right. a guerrilla party. And you could you know? never talk about anything that happened there right. away right. from. Right. So it was this huge mystery. Right. And, it's like, and then right. you got you know the, the the you know the Senate became really concerned because it's like you know thousands of people are going off and like disappearing into the forest and corpses are turning up and some you know aristocratic guys are going down and they're getting rogered by the lower orders and it's like you know it's just it's, it's, it was an anarchy sort of thing right. and it's like Very you know, and politically subversive because it's like the lower orders are getting treated in the, and slaves you know are, are allowed, slaves were allowed yeah, to participate you know, like, if they were invited by someone who yeah. had been there so no, I, I read now this may be historically inaccurate I, I don't rem 
remember the source or anything, but I remember reading that there's evidence that it wasn't just alcohol that was going on, that they were using hallucinogenic mushrooms there. Mm -hmm. And that that was part of this whole union of minds and you know, this transcendental experience that people were having. I believe it. I haven't really read that, but it's the, I mean, it mm -hmm. certainly fits in. And it's like, yeah. it, it makes perfect sense because, you know, these, this is a ancient culture which is really hooked into all this, you know, sure. this sort of stuff. The, you know, the life of the, of the forest and the mistletoe right. and whatever. Oh, right, but, Pan uh, and the, yeah. Yeah, all that. So, yeah. that, I mean, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. It's like, uh, but... Um, wow. so, so, have you been there? Have you been to the site of the... No, no, I haven't. I mean, it's, 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 it's it, you know, it's by the Tiber, you know, further up the Tiber. Or, and, and it was in different locations. Oh, that uh, moved, okay. Yeah, but then the Senate, you know, decided to just blitz it and they just went, went in and they arrested, you know, thousands and, you know, many were killed, others not, you know, but it was like it was banned. Uh, mm. You know, I think it was 183 BC, but it was like they really just wanted to like, uh, this is this mm. is not, and no, no, and there couldn't be any uh, Bacchic associations going on, but they would still carry on in secret, right. and especially in, in remoter areas of southern Italy, and the, uh, it was going, and there's sort of there are arguments that you know persisted until you know through the Middle Ages and whatever. Oh, really? So, um, but it, yeah, it, it's you know it's an amazing you know, concept, yeah. you know, and it sort yeah. of resonates today. But how did we get up to that? Uh, <laughs> well, just talking about, you know, yeah. licentiousness in the General ancient world, which is, yeah. which is your thing. I mean, yeah. that's sort of become your, like, you are the go-to guy for any documentary filmmaker. Anyone who contacts me and wants to talk about human sexuality and they're looking for historical context, you're the guy I send them to. I, I, appreciate I, I, that. I can't it's imagine a... anyone more informed than yeah, you are. Yeah. And that leads to the next book that was what was happening was uh, with Napoleon's Privates. I think uh, the subtitle was 2,500 Years of History Unzipped. The idea was, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, it was just, it was literally, a, you know, I just thought I, what I wanted to do was get broaden it from the ancient world. Right. And I wanted to create basically, you know, in a very sort of, you know, t you know I wanted to teach myself, uh, you know, a lot of other things that didn't have any of these vague rumors that I'd heard about stuff. All right. So uh, I created, uh, it's like a cabinet of curiosities, uh -huh. basically. And I wanted to write a book. It started off, you know, you know what, it, what makes a good historical story? What makes a good anecdote that you can tell at a dinner party? You know, most of the time when people are talking about history, you, know, you can just see, like, you know, after their eyes glows yeah. over. But other stories, they're on the edge of their seat. And they're mm. going, what? You know? Uh, and, and so what is it about that? Where can we make these connections? And, and so I was, just, I was looking, you know, I did look at a little bit of food and, you know, money and real estate and stuff like that. But sex, obviously, you know, and then there's just and then I realized as I was doing how many amazing sort of little episodes you know through history of these you know extraordinary you know like sex clubs in the 18th century and you know uh, the story and, the, and the, the title story of Napoleon's penis was the reason that sort of became the emblem uh, of the book is because it's good you've got your you got sex you've got death you've got uh, celebrity you've got everything all combined in this one story and it's mm. like it just works on every level it's yeah. like uh, military history History. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, and it's like, um, so it was. A, it was a collection of these different stories that had sort of, um, you know. And, and as I was doing it, I really, you know, more and more would come up from J. Edgar Hoover, cross dressing, and I would, I would sort of start basically. So is that true? This thing about J. Edgar Hoover. You know, it was, it's based on very tenuous evidence. There was right. a, um, you know, a, a woman who's 
her husband had been, you know, really kind of ruined by Jake Hoover, and she was the one basically who she was alcoholic and yeah. whatever, and uh, uh, you know, she's the one who gave these very detailed descriptions that a uh, uh, British journalist um, wrote a book about. And it was yeah. a very sensational. It was in Vanity Fair. But the thing was while my, he was alive or after he died. After he died. Yeah. After he died. Uh, you know, it was like in the mid nineties or something. Yeah. But the thing, the interesting thing to me is that. Uh, you know, it, that doesn't mean it's not true. You know that it's like it's that's very tenuous evidence. But you know, it doesn't seem to be. I mean, the, he definitely had this very intense, you know, which was a homoerotic, you know, relationship with his with his sidekick and you know all that sort of thing. Uh, but the reason it's so powerful as a story is because he's you know such a bastard, having persecuted mm. so many you know gays and just you yeah. know just and to just discover that he's a closet gay you know and it's like cross-dressing mincing yeah. around in this long dress with right. you know right and being you know it's just it's just so perfect that it's just yeah. you know it has to be true and it's like yeah. it's part of the it's part of the mythology you know, well it, it's one of those stories that feels like it must be true because it seems like you know you know the expression uh, what do they say uh, behind every great fortune is a great crime right there does seem to be some balance in the human psyche between, you know, behind, we see it all the time, all these, you know, right wing, social conservative, family values, blah, 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 Jimmy Swaggart and, you know, the white stance, Larry White stance, Craig, and, you know, go down the list, they keep getting exposed as hypocrites. And, and so you see the pattern, like, if... You know, unless you've got some serious conflict within yourself, you don't really give a shit if gay people get married or not. It doesn't really affect you. So if you're that upset about it and it becomes your entire fucking focus as a politician or a major focus, that suggests to me that you've got something seriously interesting in your closet. The conflict there. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I hope that American culture comes to the point where anyone who starts yelling and screaming about, you know, what the gays are doing or the blacks are doing or whatever anybody's doing like just that becomes like a, a red flag yeah like everyone just looks at them and not shakes their head yeah it's roll your eyes sad it's, uh, sad little man yeah. yeah and it's always a man too you yeah. know with very few exceptions yeah. Michelle Bachman and you know her husband's got enough secrets for the two of them probably right. wow. anywho uh, yeah but, but yeah, yeah. But, so the, the, the premise of the book is really coming up with these stories and trying to find out as much as one can you know, premise you know, I mean yeah, I'll translate it. For American listeners, that's premise. Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the idea. <laughs> we speak right. English here. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right. Right. But, um, Australian. You know, the, the, um, now I've lost my the train of thought. The premise of the book, you were saying. <laughs> yeah, is, yeah, so taking these, these myths or these ideas. So yeah. like, for example, you know, Catherine the Great. There's only one thing people know that, about Catherine the Great, that she died She was a, a horse. great horsewoman. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so where did that come from? Yeah, you know, because well, you know, she it, was very interested in in her personal guards. She checked them she for was, their penis size. She is was sexually true? very active, you right. know, which is quite unusual in a ruler and in a fairly open, you know, well, for a woman a to woman be ruler, a ruler yes. of Russia was very yeah, unusual. Yeah, wasn't so, it? yeah. And, and it's not very hard to to, to 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 prove that she didn't die fucking a horse. You know, there there, there are fairly you know straightforward accounts of her you know dying on the on the privy, you know, having a stroke on the privy. Oh, and, you know, that's she's, so much. 
less glamorous. I know, and, so, yeah. and she dies, you know, a few days later. Uh, and so, uh, privy, uh, privy for American listeners <laughs> is toilet. Yeah, it's, it's very unglamorous. <laughs> yeah. And yet, almost immediately in France, that this rumor starts, and it's just amazing to see the way the French are very good at this. They just take all these elements. They take her sexual sort of frame. She, you know, and she gotten rid of her husband, and she's this, you know, and France had, and and Russia had been almost on the verge of war. Mm. So she was this sort of, you know, this enemy figure that had to be demonized anyway. So her sexuality is the obvious target. And it's kind of like, uh, just, and she was an amazing, you know, she was a great horsewoman. And she used oh, really? to take pride in her horse riding. Uh-huh. And, but, and, you know, and yet she would take her, and she would take her lovers, a series of lovers, you know. Um, the sort of thing that in a man would be like, yeah, yeah. And, but for her, it was so unusual. Right. And to put all those together into one vivid image, you know, that, and it's that, like. That humiliates her. and and degrades her as a historical figure which is something we men love to do to powerful women it goes back through Cleopatra it goes Marie Antoinette God uh, okay hold that thought because we have to stop for a commercial I I received an email from my my podcast editor yesterday saying around the middle of the podcast you should stop for a commercial you should mention that the podcast is available available. you should not mispronounce that but you should announce that uh, Feral Audio com is the place to get other fascinating podcasts, including the Duncan Trussell Family Hour, where I've been a guest twice. Uh, he's a comedian. The guy's hilarious. It's podcast with him is a very dangerous thing. I, I go to his house. He, he gives me drugs and beer, and you know, we he, he extracts all these. Secrets I had no intention of talking about publicly. Uh, that's the Duncan Trussell Family Hour, and there are lots of other fascinating uh, podcasts there. You can uh, contribute to uh, this podcast. There's a donation button and uh, at feralaudio.com, and you can see uh, archives of uh, all the different uh, people I've, I've spoken to. And uh, the other thing he asked me to mention, Dustin asked me to mention, was that uh, if you're buying anything at Amazon and you do it through the affiliate button at our webpage there at feralaudio.com and you can just click through to uh, tangentially speaking uh, per, uh, I don't know what it is 5% or something of whatever you spend at Amazon will go to us it doesn't cost you anything more but it goes to us to help support the podcast and keep everybody in business so if you're enjoying listening to Tony Perrottet talk about um, ancient uh, figures and their sex lives Please, uh, please consider doing some of that. Hit that button. Hit that button, and we'll be right back. All right, I'm back with Tony Paratet. Uh, you're listening to Tangentially Speaking. We're sitting in the library of the Soho House in uh, Manhattan, and there's a thunderstorm raging outside. So if you hear rumbling, that's not uh, my stomach or Tony's. That's the good Lord himself. <laughs> Moving furniture, as they say. So uh, you mentioned Cleopatra. Uh, we, we were talking about, oh, by the way, great horse fucking story for you while we're on, on the subject please, of, of horse please. fucking. By the way, this is not safe for work. Uh, put on your headphones. You don't want your <laughs> boss to wonder by while I'm talking about horse fucking. Um, Dan Savage. This is Dan's story. Dan has a great podcast called Savage Love, the Savage Love podcast. And... Um, he uh, people call in you know he's a 
sex advice columnist. So people call in and ask questions. So this guy calls in and he says, uh, yeah, Dan, uh, I have sex with horses and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And uh, I don't really understand why it's a big deal. I wish you'd comment on that. So Dan calls him back and says, oh, hey, listen, I heard your, your message and that you, know, you make an interesting point, but I, I just want to clarify this. So I, I got it straight in my head. Are you fucking the horse or is the horse fucking you? And there's a long pause on the phone, and the guy says, I'm not gay. <laughs> the guy's offended that Dan, who is gay, of course, could possibly think that he's on the receptive end of the horse fucking. Okay, that goes back to ancient Rome, you know. It was really? Like it was a huge... So you could fuck a horse, but a horse couldn't fuck you? Uh, or pen being penetrated generally was, con was right. you know, you could only penetrate social inferiors. So one right. of the things that um, if you, you know, really wanted to, like Alexander the Great... Um, this is ancient Greece we're ancient talking Greece about. ancient Greece we're yeah. talking about, yeah. yeah. So it's like there'd be a huge discussions about who, you know, it's very complicated, you know, the pecking order of... Who's uh, and who. Yeah, so it's incredibly, right. like, you could really um, insult someone by implying that he was being fucked by somebody uh, of a lower social order. Whereas, you know, if he's doing the, the fucking, it's like, it doesn't, you know... So if you say you're a slave fucker, that's not an insult, but you got fucked by your slave, that would be like a high the, insult. That's like the worst, right. you know, possible right. thing. Right. Um, well, isn't that, I mean, that sort of thing continues today. I, I, I was researching an episode for this TV show I told you I've been, I've been working on, and uh, we're talking about prison sex, you know, and a lot of prisoners will tell you, I'm not gay, I fuck him. He's gay because he gets fucked, you know. So it's the same. It's the same mentality. Yeah. It's like if I'm sticking my dick into something else, that's manly. Right. It's it's only right. becomes, you know, aberrant in some way right. when when your ass or your mouth or whatever is involved. Yeah, yeah. They had a very yeah. complicated sort of thing, and and clear, getting back to Cleopatra. Right. Um, you know, she was because um, she lost the war, but she was very, you know, when she was with Mark Antony, there was very much a. Um, so I've, I've always wondered about Cleopatra. I think a lot of people have. I, what I, I read somewhere, and correct me if I'm wrong, that lipstick originated in ancient Greece among prostitutes who wanted to advertise the fact that they specialized in oral sex. You know, I, um, I would have thought lipstick would be around before that, but... Uh, I hadn't. I haven't really heard that particular story. So, I heard that. so with your, we'll get into Cleopatra and other specifics here. But um, with your knowledge of, of sex and history, people always ask me, like, uh, because my thing is more like other cultures, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Not yeah. so much historical as you know, hunter gatherers or you know, Japanese or whatever. Um, but. The things that we consider to be part of the, the spectrum of more or less normal sexual behavior, I hate the word normal when we're talking about sex, of course, but oral sex, anal sex, hand jobs, you know, uh, bukkake, which probably isn't normal, but some sort of, you know, visible ejaculation, which may or may be related to pornography, you know, do those things, is there any evidence of those things being considered normal in history? I know anal sex we're talking about 
about in ancient Greece right. well, between yeah, it, men, right? You know, yeah, some things were, you know, it can seem inc incredibly liberated, for example. I think, you right. know, the idea of... But it's to us, it's also incredibly exotic. If you look at... Uh, you know, they, they had no concept of homosexuality. Right. You know, there right. was, you know, the idea of an older man being a mentor to a, a younger teenager was just in a standard in ancient Greece. That's what the whole, you know, culture was based on. That's this very spiritual sort of, yeah, ideal. Yeah. yeah, and so, but it was uh, only up until, you know, the, the down appeared on the cheeks, they used to say. So like teenage, you know, so once they reached sort of a, you know, a stage of puberty. And uh, so, and Alexander... So the boys were considered sexual beings in terms of... So, so the, the older men, I'm just trying to understand. So, so a guy, let's say a guy's 30. And he's a professor. Yeah. And he's got his students who are 10, 11 yeah. years old. So he's able to have sex with them yeah. without it being any issue at all. Are they expected to enjoy it? I think they enjoy the attention. They enjoy the... Um you know the the, the, the all-round sort of thing that yeah, it wouldn't he wouldn't be having sex with all of them he'd probably be like there'd be one special sort of one he takes under his wing you know it's so, to, see to us it's very it's bizarre it's like a priest altar boy situation. yeah very much like yeah. that and yeah. Uh, yeah those Catholics they keep uh, it's, uh, you know and so that to us is very weird um, and yet so it, it becomes transgressive if it's between adult adult men right as he right. grows up Alexander the Great gets into terrible trouble because he's keeps you know, this relationship going with this guy as he grows older and he's taking him around on the campaigns yeah, with him right huge problems yeah. also that he's becoming involved with uh, being you know penetrated by barbarians you know there's a there's <laughs> <laughs> that's a title man you've got to use that title so it's penetrated like, you know, by barbarians I love that you know he's got this Persian lover it's like you know it's like it's you know and that is just so shocking yeah you know and so it's you know you can see it's just so complicated so it's just completely different to how we would view whatever so it's, it's not exactly this sort of gay paradise thing going on you know? so, so there's no there's no conception of homosexuality as we understand it yeah. until quite recently the whole concept of being right. a homosexual yeah, is late categories. 1900s yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or 19th century yeah yeah so yeah. Yeah, suddenly it, they, they, just, they decide to categorize everything you know there was no even word oh there's no not even a word you know homosexual until right. You know what, eighteen seventy-five, right, just right. before the yeah. you know the legislation is passed in in London, criminalizing right. acts of gross indecency, the Oscar Wilde trial. Right. Suddenly, it's all this this thing. Cause Wasn't it, there it a Serb? There was a Serbian guy who was writing about it, and he was arguing against the laws that would have made sexual contact between men illegal, and he came up with the word homosexual. Right. Yeah. 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 And it was. Uh, you know, yeah. and uh, and but even then, like it, like lesbianism, uh, it was originally in the act, but it was removed by Queen Victoria, according to legend, because she couldn't believe that sexual relations between women were possible. <laughs> so, so, so they dodged it for a while. So, but, uh, so then, if there's no, okay, there's so culturally, there's there's no sense of homosexuality the way we understand it today, but. If homosexuality is indeed a, a genetic or a question of fetal development or whatever, as most homosexual people will tell you, I was born this way, this is the way I've always been, there's no cultural anything going on here, you know, uh, then presumably there were homosexual men and women in ancient Greece. The sapphic love definitely makes women. Sapphic love, right. right. Uh, right. 
you know, not very many records, you know, uh, it's like very small, because women were, you know, basically locked away most of the time. Right. So it's like, you know, uh, they right. were sort of to breed children. It was a you know, very repressive society. For what about them. sexual it's relation a, between like uh, soldiers in the Roman legions or, you know, in uh, Sparta? What was going on in Sparta? Wasn't Sparta, there a lot of yeah. homosexual activity been, going but on? Still in, the ideal is still the male, you know, the older male and the younger right. guy. So right. I think if, I mean, presumably it was going on, but just, you know, then it's much more furtive. Right. You know, it's like uh, uh, you wouldn't want to be sprung. Right. I, th I think that's it. So, uh, you know, and all sorts of weird prohibitions, you know, um, you know, uh, the, the, the idea of, yeah, a lot of oral sex, you know, was, I think, very transgressive. Oh, so know? oral yeah. sex was... Pleasuring a woman with your mouth was considered, you know, that's, yeah. a, that's an insult. That's like, you know... Right. And still yeah. is in, in many parts of the world. I was at the, the Festival of Dangerous Ideas a couple of years ago in Australia, and I was in the taxi with um, a couple other people who were, uh, I probably shouldn't name names <laughs> given the conversation we had but but there was a guy from Africa young guy uh, a musician and, and a woman from Egypt and me uh, in this taxi heading back to the hotel and we got, I don't know how the hell it happened but we started talking about sex and oral sex and this and the the Egyptian woman was sort of sounding out this African guy on what what his thing was and he and he was like oh my god that uh, never in a million years would I do that to a woman and or for a woman I think he said and and she said, well, what about you? What about if she wants to do that to you? And he's like, oh, that would insult her. That would be, that would insult her. I would never let a woman do that. And he was like really vehement about yeah. it. And the guy yeah. was, you know, 25 or something. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And like for Cleopatra, she was um, denigrated. You know, the, uh, the phrase was, you know, she was being, you know, she being ground by her slaves. You know, she was, uh, she was having sex with slaves. So, um, you know, this, that was like, she's so sort of, this sort of wild voraciousness that she's just you know even the, the you know these barely these subhuman slaves right. you know uh, and Mark Antony is just is uh, you know tolerates this that he's you know that she's she's uh, has that sort of sort of thing with the lower orders and that's that you know she was like really um, this sexual propaganda against Cleopatra was you know was violent and you know right. that, uh, uh, Octavian was putting out and later Augustus and so and there's this similar thing as you, as you go through like Marie Antoinette you know this sort of this strain of um pornographic literature which is basically about her and her lesbian liaisons you know with everyone in the court and uh, you know having it off uh, you know, and that was considered just you know beyond the pale and sort mm. of you know really got around and, you know it's almost every powerful woman in history has had her sexuality right. attacked and you know right. depending on the, the time and the, you know the right. period it's a different right. way of doing it but you know you uh, have to wonder I mean of course there's the there's the obvious attack like that's an obvious way to attack a woman you know it's like they, they attack Barack Obama for being a secret Muslim, you know, it's like that's the obvious, you know, attack for for an ignorant racist idiot. But um, but then there's the other thing where you have to think, well, you know, maybe women who rose to positions of prominence in those worlds were rule breaking women. They were women with huge appetites. 
They were like female Bill Clintons, you know, maybe yeah. some of them. So maybe there was a grain of truth. I mean, you know, we were talking about Catherine the Great. I mean, she apparently there is historical evidence that she was pretty voracious sexually. Sure, sure. But uh, whether that... Not that there's anything used, wrong with that, yeah, you know. But, but it's used in this sort of very yeah. negative... Well, very, you know, and like, God knows history's full of men, popes, kings, and everyone yeah. else who, who were, you know, fucking left, right, and center. Yeah, so, that's, yeah. you know... Uh, so it is ultimately pretty much a purely sexist... Uh, yeah, yeah, it's just it's just amazing how you can see it again and again through history. It's, yeah. it's weird. Hey, what about the, the story of the Pope who turned out to be a woman? Pope Joan. It's... Uh, it's you know, when they when they finally went through the, the the list, it turns out there was no pope. You know, it's, she's not even on the list. It's it's a, it's a fabrication. It's, it's a fabrication. Right. Yeah. So so uh, the pope doesn't sit on a chair that his balls have to uh, hang down, uh, and they apparently not. As far as I, I mean, really? as far as I have been able to ascertain, oh, you're breaking my heart yeah, here, Tom. I've been you know into the. Yeah, the Vatican is as much as any, anyone around. Funny, uh, funny the, story. The outside. Yeah, Tone wrote a, a piece in Slate a couple years ago about uh, it was a, it was a series actually, wasn't yeah, it about penetrating the Vatican <laughs> <laughs> with barbarians <laughs> in tow. So anyway, T Tone wrote this piece in Slate about uh, about doing archival research in the the Vatican Library and you know going through all the the jumping through all the hoops of getting permission to go in and how you know it was very it was a low, fantastic piece. Anyway, in the piece he says there's Wi-Fi in the Vatican Library and he was sitting in the Vatican Library and he connected to the Wi-Fi and he he wrote an email to a friend saying my God I'm sitting right now in the Vatican Library. And the friend wrote back and said, you should log on to a porn site. And I'm proud to say that friend was me. <laughs> but you didn't, did you? Oh, I did log on. Oh, you I did? did? But for like 10, ten seconds. Which, because I was like... Which porn site? I, well, all I did is I went to Google and I put in porn, hardcore porn. <laughs> and I just clicked on whatever the... Because I was like, you know, I'm sitting there because it's done in rows and I was in the back row. Right. So I'm thinking, oh yeah, what the hell? You know, because the last time I visited the Vatican, they, they have these, you know, these blocks on all sorts of stuff. I couldn't even visit my own website. You know, it would come yeah. up, you know, the content yeah. and advice. So I thought, oh yeah, fuck, I'll do it. So it was like XOXO dot yeah, whatever, you know. And then I, so I clicked on and it's like, yeah, you know, there's like there's a leg being bent over and it's like oh wow and it's like but I'm there and I'm like suddenly you know I'm an ex-Catholic man and I was like <laughs> looking at it over my shoulder and it's yeah. like and I spoke to Vatican correspondents and they said mm. uh, you know it does go through these filters and like after 20 seconds if it goes for like 20 seconds you know then usually they'll, they'll shut it down yeah. and there's even keywords that in emails that they'll get a bounce back your email didn't arrive because you know for some reason and they look mm. through it and it's like uh, you know someone's name Dick or something like that you know and so it was banned for that so uh, but uh, but yeah going through the Vatican was an amazing experience and really? I was like uh, probably the most difficult of my many bizarre missions and it ends right. up in um, in the last book The Sinner's Grand Tour and that was very you know I I had heard rumors that there was a pornographic bathroom you know in the uh, in the Vatican in right. the Vatican right. and, it had been, and, and I did a little research and it turns out it would, you know there was something painted by Raphael in 1516 uh, in the, Vat the Vatican Palace had been used by cardinals and whatever in the Renaissance and he was a very erudite guy, erudite guy. he used to write very racy sort of plays you know very cultured mm. and they're all in, very into ancient Roman discoveries because they're just they're, 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 they're actually physically finding uh, for example the Golden Palace of 
Nero, which was intact underneath the city. And like uh, Raphael and Michelangelo would go down with torches and they'd find this really raunchy stuff on all the walls. And they'd be like, wow. And they'd go out and this whole thing of grotesque art would start where there's sort of very sort of, you know, you know, ribald sexual stuff that was going. And so it became quite fashionable. And so this cardinal said, Raphael, who's his teenage friend, you know, since teen years, paint me this thing. So he paints uh, this room with a, a number of sort of frescoes relating to Aphrodite and um, and Eros and the, and the god Pan. And it's this, this, you know, erotic scenes. And he has a bathroom in there. It's like literally a bath, not a, not a toilet. But so anyway, uh, Raphael dies, the cardinal dies, uh, the, the bear, you know, the bathroom stays there. And they had to go back and like find these ancient, you know, these Renaissance texts and these, and through the years, the, the few people were able to visit it. And uh, at one stage it's turned into a, uh, into a kitchen. And Raphael wasn't considered that, you know, around the 17th century, his reputation went down. So some of it was, some of it was white, whitewashed, whitewashed oh. over. No. Yeah, it's insane. It's insane. But then in the 19th century, some you know, his Raphael becomes uh, famous again. And so uh, there's certain Catholic scholars go in and they write these treatises about it. And there's these blurry, muddy photos. So I, I wanted, I made it my mission to go in there and uh, see if I could talk my way into to this place. Uh, and I did it by going to the Vatican Library, not getting caught downloading porn, uh, getting into the Vatican <laughs> archives, you know, and sort of doing, you know, going in there again and again and talking to people and sort of finding out how the thing how it works and it's like it's on the third floor I mean and I with the Smithsonian I had worked on you know classical sites in Rome so I knew a guy who used to be at the Vatican Museums and he's like yeah it's on the third floor but it's like it's literally the papal apartments you know it's run by the secretariat <laughs> it's not you a know? place you're going to yeah. wander you into the authority basically yeah. from the third from the top right. and I'm like uh, like a challenge, you know. I'll just right. what what do I get to do? So I would do up these emails, you know, and I write for the New York Times. I write for Smithsonian. I'm a scholar. I teach at you know NYU. I'm a specialist in pagan art in the Renaissance. You know the influence of pagan art. You know I make this very convincing case. So it's like, why won't you let me in? You know, I say, like, what what do you got to hide? Right. You know, and so uh, it's just go through, and I was sending it to all sorts of people, and then one day I got this this letter back, this email back saying, yeah, turn up at 4 p.m. on the, you know, such and such a date, Monday or whatever, and like, we'll show it to you. I'm like, what the fuck? Okay, great. And then like four hours later, I got another email from a different department saying it's totally off limits. This is completely impossible. Uh, thanks. Don't, don't, you know, right. try again. Right. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to fly to Rome and I'm going to turn up at four o'clock and it, see yeah. what happens. I never got that yeah. second email. And, yeah. And so I'm like, okay, so I'm dealing with the secretariat, which is like the, it's like the foreign office, you yeah. know? And so, uh, and it turns out that the, the Cardinal's apartments is where the Pope meets foreign potentates. You know, so heads of state, ministers, if Obama went to visit the Pope, he'd be in this room. And it's an annex to that. And um, anyway, you know, to cut a long story short, I go there. They try to cancel on me at like one o'clock. I managed to talk them into it. And it turns out there's a minister who's meant to be there. And they said, okay, okay, turn up at four o'clock and we'll let you in. We've got 10 minutes. So we turn up. You know, the Swiss guards, they, they don't know, they can't believe that I'm going in there and they, they're calling people up. And luckily I had the name of someone. They let me in. They take me up to this, they, to this elevator, this wooden elevator. And they put me in. I'm like, and it goes, rattles up <laughs> to the third floor. Good place it, to die. Yeah. And it, open, no, it opens up. And then these two guys, with, you know, Swiss guards with halberds, you know, escort me down this long corridor. And there's one on one side of these beautiful picture windows that are looking out over Rome. You know, the best view, you know, right, in, right. In Rome. 
world. And the other side of these giant Renaissance maps, you know, it's like that it's, these globes of the world, you know, with America sort of they've got the East Coast, they get Australia's, you know, <laughs> out, you know, in the parts yeah. of Africa. And it's yeah. like, wow, it's just the most beautiful thing. And they put me, they seat me in one room, they seat me in another. And finally, it's Monsignor from Oklahoma turns up and he's like, you know, because, you know, America, whatever, they found the only guy who's, you know, whatever. And he says, all right, you know, we've got a few minutes, let's go, let's go. And so he opens up this door and I go into this, this beautiful light filled, you know, quite small uh, room, but it's like, you know, these, it, it, the frescoes are still there. It's, you know, there's maybe 20 different scenes, erotic scenes of Venus, uh, you know, uh, lolling by a stream with her uh, legs apart or uh, or being sort of caressed by an, uh, by um, Cupid floating around. And, uh, you know, it's, it, you know, you wouldn't, I mean, you can find anything on any, you know, website today that would be yeah. more shocking, but, yeah. you know, it's all context. Yeah. And so it's this extraordinary thing. It's very, they're very beautiful. Some of them are damaged, you know, seriously damaged others not uh, the, the most famous one is of uh, uh, Venus is combing her hair by a river legs akimbo and uh, the god Pan a satyr leaps out from behind the bushes masturbating this is the most famous you know thing because it's like in the Vatican you know, right. uh, and unfortunately the Monsignor was sort of standing in front of her <laughs> so I'm like I'm sorry I was like would you mind stepping aside while I inspect this <laughs> and it's like and I go there and, it, and there it is And but the funny thing is over the over Pan's dick his erection someone's etched it out so it's like there's the sausage and two veg in outline of this this white outline of uh, of the penis and two balls and it's been restored but in this very bright white thing so someone had come in and like savaged the the, the penis scratched it out and they <laughs> savaged the penis and another great title <laughs> and uh, wow. I'm sure Dan savages I've thought of it but, yeah. uh, but uh, could you would did they let you take pictures no no, no. they checked me and it was like it was very I mean the, the sad thing is the Monsignor was like you know this is it whatever I don't, and I'd yeah. ask him because I had prepared this whole spiel sure about you know pagan influence on renaissance art and Raphael doing this or the other and he was like eh don't know anything about it you know I probably could have you know taken a photograph but um uh I did, uh, you know, uh, an artist, I, you know, Les is a, is a good artist, so I was able to do a reconstruction of what it would have been like. Les and is, a, is your wife. Yeah, yeah. so. Yeah. Um, so she described it in detail. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, and there's sort of drawings of what have, you know, the, the, the architecture of it and whatever. Right. It's like, right. So it's just this fascinating thing that there it is. And it's like, uh, you know, just to have that inside the, the Vatican. And it's and it wasn't at the time in the Renaissance, it was considered, you know, normal to have mm. that. It was like, sure. you know. If you're a cultured guy, you're into the ancient Roman stuff, and right. like, you know, and the Borgias and all of those. Right. Are, right. You know, they're, they're, they're not, um, you know, they're, they're men of state. They're, they're uh, you know, and one of the funny things is when you talk to Catholic scholars, you know, Alexander the Third is the most notorious of the Borgias. You know, like the most depraved, the most, you know, we could have ever. But in many ways, they said he was an excellent pope because the the papers he was, they needed a strong leader who was a good military commander. You yeah. know, who didn't you know fuck around, and you know, he he was notorious for um, he had a thing called the joust of the of the whores where he invited all the most beautiful courtesans of Rome to a banquet and they had a game where all the cardinals would be there and um 
they would have, get those courtesans to strip naked. And it was around uh, November, and it's a, a, a treat is uh, an Italian treat is chestnuts at that time. So they would get chestnuts and throw them on the ground, and the, and the girls on their hands and knees uh, would be you know, collecting them, you know, and winning like horses. And then the cardinals would strip off and uh, uh, and fuck them. Mm. And then he awarded prizes for whoever was able to come the most times, you know, come most often. Uh, the cardinal that was able to, you know, last the distance. You know, they're very nice, like a villa or, a, you know, beautiful clothes or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know. Nice so, house. Yeah, so it's, um, you know, and, and like, he's like, you know, he's considered the most debauched of them all. And yet this Catholic scholar who is like, uh, you know, very, you know, dapper guy, he's like, but in many ways he was, he, you know, if it wasn't for him, the papacy might have imploded. You know, it was like yeah. there was a very touchy time in the Renaissance. Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, so... You know, it's a it's a it's a more recent thing that these that uh, you know the Pope is Pope's, he's lost this temporal that it has to be a, a political player. You right. know, it's like it's now it's just this tiny little rump state. It used to be run half of Italy. You know, yeah. Rome. You know, yeah. it's well, only eighteen seventy. The world. I mean, the yeah. whole Western Hemisphere. A lot of right, that was run right. by the Vatican. As yeah, well, right? but uh, but it used to be like yeah. you know the Pope would roam all over Rome. Uh, yeah. He would roam over Rome. <laughs> but he, in the, it was only in eighteen seventy that he got kicked back to the Vatican, mm. and for like thirty years he never left because he refused to accept that the the rest of it was Italy and that uh, he was, there was and it was only until Mussolini had the Concordat that uh, you know so the Pope if you were Pope you were just stuck in the Vatican you know house arrest yeah yeah, yeah. prisoner of the Vatican they used right. to say so, right. and that's when the whole idea of it as the secret city began and all these sort of rumours of the pornographic libraries and all that and whatever right. it was like right. you know um, well listen before we were let me see we're almost out of time I think but before we run out of time we're actually over Overtime, Dustin edited that out. Um, I just want to get you know it, it's unusual to talk to someone who's got uh, such a wide angle view, uh, you know, of, of uh, human sexuality and in throughout history. With your understanding, with with all you've read and, and you've seen and thought about, do you see any sort of trajectory? Are we moving in a direction, or are we just going around in circles, or? It seems to me very cyclical. It seems to me like right. we, 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 there's a lot of self-congratulation about how, you know, how liberated, liberated we are. are. Right. And it's like, you know, yeah. some golden age or whatever. And right. it's like, but then you look at these other periods and it's like, you know, uh, I don't know what history teaches you, but, you know, uh, you certainly see, um, you know, these times of extraordinary liberation. You know, it's like the 18th century. You know, it's like, you know, if it's, often it's for a certain social class or with right. wealth or whatever. Right. But, then, you know... There's definitely, I mean, nothing new under the sun is one observation. Another observation might be that, um, you know, there's always been these periods of repression as well. And then it's just, it's extraordinary how sex in this chaotic way just sort of, you know, cannot be controlled. It comes out like during the Middle Ages, they're trying to, you know, officially it looks like, they, you know, it's amazing to imagine that the human race survived, you know, mm. because there's all these strictures against sex. But then you look a little deeper and it turns out, you know, everyone's just doing what they fucking want. Correct. You know, it's like... Uh, Priests, uh, you know, the, the ban against priests marrying is like, you know, it only starts in like the 1200s, you know, and you figure out, you know, and it'll, it, it'll come out in other ways, you know, and these mm. sex cults or, you know, clubs or adventures and everyone's, it's incredibly creative and inventive and, uh, you know, and then even if you look at like the 1920s, you know, it was a huge eruption sure. of sexual freedom. You sure. know, you read uh, Henry Miller's accounts of what it was like in New York in the 1920s. Right. And it's like, wow. Yeah. You know, 
Uh, and then and, this, and so the sort of sense of the 60s rebelling against the 50s you know it's like yeah, you know you got to see it in a pendulum swinging yeah, back and forth yeah. yeah it feels like we're swinging in the right direction at least from my perspective now uh, toward more liberation yeah. and yeah. and rights for for people who aren't uh, you know whatever's defined as normal which which is always good um, it'd, be, it'd be nice to think that the, yeah, the, the cycle of repression has been broken but, but yeah you know, but you never know because like it was the French Revolution coming out of nowhere that really sort of kicked off this uh, the Victorian age because I mean the French aristocrats are like you are totally debauched and then the, the British are as well and yeah. then the British say oh shit they're all getting dragged off and having their heads chopped off they're obviously right. they're just riding because they've been just riding roughshod over everybody right you know and so suddenly the Victorian thing comes in where the ruling classes are still doing whatever they want sure. it's behind closed doors right, right? right the middle class has to sort of toe the line right the and middle then class gets screwed and the yeah. poor are doing whatever they want because yeah. they've got nothing to lose yeah, yeah I mean you see that even uh, I found it very interesting when I was researching Darwin's life you know and he was super uh, you know uh, laced up you know straight guy you know even on the Beagle traveling around the South Pacific in the 18 what was it 18 uh, he was uh, one of the only guys on the ship who didn't like go down and, and consort with the women in Tahiti and, and elsewhere as far as anyone knows certainly if he did he kept it very quiet but um you know he married his first cousin and you know a very uptight guy uh, but his grandfather was a wild man Erasmus wild man had kids with several different women and several of them being his maids wrote poetry about you know group sex and you know sort of vaguely uh disguised as writing about flowers and things but i mean he was just like a, a real libertine and the difference between the 18 you know the 18th century and the 19th and it happens very quickly that's it it's you two know? generations yeah. and suddenly you're at the other end of the spectrum yeah and, and then there's the minor tragedy of people like byron and shelley who are sort of living as if they're in the 18th century but they're in the 19th century mm. so he has to leave mm. basically right. England ends up you know living in Switzerland yeah, Italy Geneva, yeah and dying right. in Greece yeah. you know uh, yeah. so yeah if you're a sexual rebel in the early 1800s you know you're out of luck <laughs> it's like you yeah. know yeah. Well, Burton you know has to go off to oh India Richard Burton and, yeah. what a fascinating character yeah. Richard Burton is I, yeah. I, that's somebody if I if I ever have a year or two and I you know for some reason I can't walk and all I can do is research I think Richard Burton would be the person I would love to really dig into. Unfortunately, of course, his wife burned most of his papers yeah, after yeah. he but died. But imagine if you found that, like his last, tra the lost translation of, uh, I think it was a Persian erotic poem that, um, you know, like of 200 pages or something. One of the things that supposedly she burned, you know. Yeah. Byron's memoir, uh, He after his death, it was sent back to London. His publisher got it. And he was there with all his friends and they agreed because it was so revealing about his sex life. They threw it on the fire. You know? Yeah. That's, that's unbelievable. I know, it's a crime. You know, that sort of level of... Uh... That's why you need the cloud computing. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad they didn't have cloud computing back then. Well, listen, we have barely scratched the surface of the amazing, salacious knowledge in this guy's head. Uh, I mean, the, we, we haven't talked about the Scottish masturbation societies. There are so many things we haven't yeah. talked about that, from your books. Uh, so everyone, please go out and buy, if they're going to buy one book because I, I, I think my listeners if I had to guess who's listening to this I'm thinking they're smart 
probably 25 to 35 years old, most of them, but they probably don't have time to read a lot of history, but they're, they're sexy, they're open-minded. One of your books, which would you recommend first? Napoleon's Privates would have to be the one. It's like it's, you can dip into it. It's like, you know, uh, it's fun. It's, you know, it's great dinner party conversation. It's right. like, you know, it's right. like it's, it's full of stuff that sort of sticks in your head, I All think. Right. And exactly. So, and, yeah, if, if you like that, then the Grand, the Sinner's Grand Tour is like the practical... The, the, I love the, the that, first, the Sinner's Grand Tour. Is the, yeah, that's it's like very the, funny, man. That's the first... Because then I, while I was reading Napoleon's Privates, I realized that all this shit's still out there. Right. And so, uh, why don't I go and find the relics of the right. Scottish masturbation? Right. Why don't right. I visit the Marquis de Sade's Oh, the, the crazy so, chair of uh, the, the, the guy... Yeah, King uh, Edward Seventh sex chair. Sex chair, so he could, like, lean in the sex chair and dangle his balls in the prostate. I mean, oh, mm. my God. It's all... And the weird and to, thing and Tony found the chair in yeah. some, you know, musty attic in Paris somewhere. Yeah, that was one of my great triumphs. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and, and the Marquis de Sade's palace is now owned by Pierre Cardin. Yeah, is that it? And yeah, you, you talked right. your way into that, too. Unbelievable. Yeah. It was a, but the Vatican remains my greatest, greatest triumph, of course. You, you, know, you stormed a, the gates of the Vatican. Yeah. yeah, yeah you yeah, penetrated uh, the Vatican. Sort of very, uh, like well. a barbarian. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so if you're interested in learning more about this, Napoleon's Privates is the place to go, the place right. to start. No. All right. Hey, thanks, Tony. This has been great. Yeah, thanks for having me. Smoke alarms will dance into the ground.